I made it. I remember when I used to run up those steps. The good thing is I do remember. <laughs> but it was a long time ago. I'm convinced, by the way, my name, if, if you don't know me, my name is Ken Garland. Once upon a time, I was one of the pastors here, uh, and more recently, uh, one of the elders here, and now I'm neither, uh, which is just fine. Uh, I, I'm older, but I'm not elder. <laughs> Figure that out. Uh, I'm convinced that... Uh, Jim, uh, I, I've checked dates over the past three or four or five years. Jim always asks me to preach on Sundays he does not want to preach. <clears throat> and you can tell him I said that, Jeremy. <laughs> um, I remember I was telling somebody in my Sunday school class, or no, I was telling Paul or somebody, I, I uh, see, I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> I do remember the very first Sunday I ever preached in a church service. I was about 23 or 24 years old. I was a youth pastor at Eagle Rock Baptist Church in Northeast Los Angeles. And uh, we had morning and evening services on Sunday. Any of you come from a church that used to do that? Yeah. Um, and... Uh, the senior pastor asked me to preach on a Sunday evening in 1969, and uh, it dawned on me that that Sunday night was the night that the first American astronaut to land on the moon was going to do his moonwalk, and the senior pastor wanted to be home to watch that on TV. <laughs> Um, and, and Neil Armstrong was that astronaut. And I, I, I think there were about 12 of us in church that night. Uh, my wife flipped a coin and decided she would go. Um, and uh, the funny thing is, um, our college group had a meeting after the church service, and we got to the home where the college group was meeting, and Neil had not walked on the surface yet. So everybody could have come to church and got home in plenty of time to see the whole thing. We saw it. Um, and, uh, but, but that was my first introduction to preaching uh, in a church service. And uh, <clears throat> it's just fine. I, um, I'm, I'm perfectly content and happy with, uh, uh, with my role and uh, always happy to help Jim out. Uh, everything I've heard is that he is recovering well um, and uh, will soon hopefully uh, be back with us, but not too soon, Jim. Uh, take your time and uh, make sure that you're uh, good and well before uh, you're back uh, with us in the pulpit again. Um, Jim has introduced us to this series which he is entitled, Really? With a question mark. And it comes out of a survey that was done by researchers from Christianity Today magazine among uh, professing evangelical Christians uh, uh, on some various theological topics and what did they believe about those. 
and uh, uh, Jim has um, uh, introduced us to a couple or three of those, and uh, my assignment today is to tackle this next one. And the topic that we are looking at today is the question, are people born innocent? Are people born innocent? Um, 70%, what's that? <laughs> oh, that's our great-granddaughter. <laughs> My wife got into the slides again. <laughs> that's Amelia Clare, seven months old, um, our, the daughter of our grandson, Nicholas, and we're going to see her this afternoon, uh, Lord willing. So anyway, I don't know how those got there. There's sin in the camp. <clears throat> Are people born innocent? 70% of the respondents to this question in the Christianity Today uh, survey said yes, they believe people are born innocent. We need to be a little bit cautious about judging those people because... Uh, the first idea I want to talk about in relation to this topic is something that you may have heard called the age of accountability. How many of you have heard that term? Yeah, I thought so. Among theologians and people who like to argue and debate these things, the age of accountability is an age at which a child growing up comes to the point cognitively where he or she understands the difference between right and wrong and uh, can make choices about whether to do right or wrong and begins to understand that they have a need uh, for salvation that comes from some uh, entity outside of themselves. And... Uh, uh, it, it's it, in the Old Testament, in, among the Jews, it was the age of accountability was commonly seen as age 13. That was the age at which a Jewish male uh, could be confirmed and could be considered, if he were the oldest surviving male in his family, he, he could be considered the spiritual head of the Jewish household. The age of accountability concept is not clearly taught in Scripture at all, which is interesting. And if the concept is biblical, the age varies from child to child. Some may get to that age of accountability, I don't know, at age five or six, uh, Others may not get there until age 11 or 12 or even 13. But those of us who have raised children understand something. You don't have to teach your child to misbehave. <laughs> it comes naturally. How many of you have heard of the term terrible twos? Hmm? 
How many of you have experienced that as a parent? Yeah, about the same number. Um, back when my wife was working as a nurse at a, a clinical lab, I often uh, did the grocery shopping for our family by myself. And I'm a very systematic person when it comes to that sort of thing. I would make out with my wife a grocery list, and it would be three columns. Over here on this column to my right were all of the items we needed that were in the, this side of the store as I entered. And the stuff that was in the middle column was somewhere in the middle or the back of the store. And the stuff in the, in the left-hand column was over here on the left side of the store. And I would get my cart, and I would start out in the right side of the store. And if it's not on the list, it ain't coming home. <laughs> I ignored all the people passing out free samples. It's like I had blinders on. And I would pick the items that were on the list from the right place. Never did I ever get over here and then have to go back here and get something. I, I was that systematic. There was one thing that could derail my freight train. Uh, my wife and I both are inveterate people watchers. We, we, like, you know, we would go to Disneyland and be perfectly content to sit on a bench somewhere and watch everybody else. Um, but you have to pay an awful lot of money to do that. Um, and and uh, I, I can get into a supermarket, and, and the one thing that will derail my freight train is a young mother with about a two-year-old child in the child seat of the shopping cart who is a strong-willed child, you know, like terrible twos. And, and you know, I could, I, I would, on occasion, literally follow this woman throughout the store just because if she picked something off the shelf that the child didn't want and put it in the cart, it's going on the floor. Wham! Better not put any glass bottles in the cart. Um, and then when she gets to the checkout stand and there's all of that brightly colored candy and gum and stuff that no a uh, responsible parent wants their child to have, the child grabs some candy or gum just because it likes the color, and mom takes it and puts it back, and the child throws a fit. All people all over the store can hear this child wailing and, and throwing a temper tantrum. And this permissive mom, and I've seen this literally happen, leans down to the child and says, honey, please stop. Don't you realize how that makes mommy feel? And I wanted to say to her, because I studied these kind of things when I was working on my PhD, I wanted to say to her, ma'am, it's going to be eight or 10 or 12 more years before your child understands how you feel about anything. In the meantime, you just have to suck it up and live with it. Children don't have to be taught to misbehave. Now, there are two Old Testament verses that uh, give us a little bit of insight into this thing. Psalm 51.5, David says this. Surely I was sinful at birth, 
sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Isn't that interesting? That's from, that's from David. That's in the Psalms. That's in the Word of God. Isaiah, in chapter 7, verse 15, foretelling the coming of Messiah, says this. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. Hmm. What are we talking about here? Well, let me try to explain how I feel about this. Is my cute little great-granddaughter at seven months innocent? Well, in a way she is. But in another way she isn't. Because every single one of us, when we were born, were born with something we didn't, well, I was born with a lot of things I didn't ask for. (laughs) But we were all born with one thing in common that we didn't ask for, and that's a sin nature. We were born with a proclivity to sin. Given a choice, we're going to sin. It's guaranteed. And so in that sense, even my seven-month-old great-granddaughter was born not innocent. And I don't imagine it'll be very long before she proves that to her parents. The fact of the sin nature... exists in every person. The sin nature exists in every person. And there's lots of biblical support for that. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, as God is preparing to get together with Noah to get him to build an ark and rescue some animals, and then destroy the world with a flood, universal flood, in my view. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, Moses tells us this, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, and that every inclination of thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. All the time evil. How long does it take us to get angry about something? Well, for me, it depends on what it is that makes me angry. Um, I shared with the group of men who meet on Tuesday morning at Norm's Restaurant Uh, for a time of sharing together, uh, I shared last Tuesday that one of the things that irritates me is I have a neighbor who's really a great guy, and and he and I are good friends. But when he contracted with Edco, which handles all of the waste disposal in Rancho Palos Verdes, 
uh, he got the smallest barrels they would rent out because he wanted to pay the least amount of money. My barrels are bigger than his. So why, you can guess what happens, can't you? Practically every Monday morning, which is trash collection day, he comes over and says, can I put something in your trash barrel? And it may be something big or something, or, or just a bag of stuff or whatever, but I'm paying extra money to empty his trash. And you know what? When I'm sitting all by myself at home, that just irritates heck out of me. I sit there and think about that and grind my teeth and, and think some very unbaptist thoughts. And, uh, but I always come out of that by Tuesday with the decision to be a good neighbor. After all, he's a good neighbor too. Um, and, 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 but, but don't even think about talking to me if I'm driving somewhere and somebody cuts me off. Boy, that really fries my buns. <laughs> See, that's sin nature. That, that's, that's how we are by nature. God discovered that the inclination of the thoughts of man was only evil all the time. And then the Apostle Paul revisits this theme in the book of Romans several times. In Romans 5.12, he says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that was Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men. Why? Because all have sinned. All. What part of that word do we not understand? All is all. There aren't very many words in the English language that are that absolute. Always. Never. All. None. That's about it. All is all. There ain't no way of getting around it. And maybe having this sin nature and being born with this sin nature is what the, uh, King David had in mind in Psalm 51 5 when, when he said, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. In Romans chapter 3, some very familiar verses, verse, uh, verses 10 to 12, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away, and they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Wow, that's pretty all-inclusive, isn't it? No one who understands, no one who seeks God. I like to talk about the pre-conversion ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jim talked last Sunday about the Holy Spirit. He taught us a lot about the Holy Spirit, the person 
third person of the Trinity, the triune God. Did you know that before you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit was active in your life? Jesus himself said, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will lead all men unto me. I became a Christian not because I was actively seeking God. I became a Christian because God was actively seeking me. You see? And, and I, that's, I think, one of the reasons why I love C.S. Lewis so much you thought you'd get away with it, didn't you? <laughs> I, my wife and I just finished watching an hour-long uh, DVD of Max McLean, who plays an incredibly believable C.S. Lewis in a, in a video that I highly recommend to you called The Reluctant Convert, The Most Reluctant Convert. In his book, Surprised by Joy, his, his autobiography, Lewis says, I was dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. Why? Because God was seeking him. And when you became a Christian, you became a Christian because God was seeking you, not because you were seeking God. And that's really, really, really great news to all of us. And then in the very familiar verse, Romans 3, 23, which most of us who have been Christians a long time, memorized a long time ago, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he doesn't exclude himself. In Romans 7, 14 and 15, Paul says this, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Now, I love this statement from Paul. I do not understand what I do. Has that ever happened to you? You did something and you don't understand why you did it or why, what it is you even did? I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. How many times have you done or said something that caused you in the aftermath to feel guilt or shame for having said or done it? Or maybe even just thought it? I can't count that the times that's happened to me. Well, what about all of those great people who are not believers but do all those great humanitarian things, fighting human trafficking, give millions of dollars to needy people and causes, act bravely in the cause of justice for all people, and more? <laughs> I've probably told this story before, but years ago my wife and I were watching an old movie, on, a movie on television, it's not that old, um, and I forget the name of the actress now that was playing a lead role, but she was, she was a director of development for a large hospital. And you all know what a director of development does. That person, he or she, raises money, donations. And she had led a campaign 
to raise several million dollars, tens of millions of dollars, to build a huge new wing on this hospital. The money had been raised, the wing had been built, and the movie opens with the dedication service of the new wing of this hospital, and she is at, on the podium at the microphone, and she turns to a man and his wife who are standing off to the side beaming. And she's, I don't remember his name, but I'm just going to make one up. She said, I want to thank Mr. and Mrs. Jones for your anonymous contribution. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> I love that line. What about all of these people who do all of these really great things? Well, let's look at a biblical example from Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. That's the story. Do you remember this story? Jesus told this story. There was a Pharisee standing out on the street, and there was a tax collector, commonly in the New Testament referred to as a publican. Not Republican, a publican. <laughs> And they're both praying. And the publican, the tax collector, is beating his chest in agony and, and praying to the Lord, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Guy understands himself. But what's the Pharisee doing? Well, the Pharisee in this text says, God... I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I get. If true, those are certainly great credentials. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. What about the sin of pride? What about all of those people who do all of these good, wonderful things, non-Christian people who do all these good and wonderful things and are proud of what they've done? I think about that every time I drive past some major building like a hospital or a government building or whatever and it's got somebody's name on it. And I know that that person's name is on that building because he or she gave a tremendous amount of money to have that building built. Pride. Well, let me make some closing reflections on all of this. My advice is, forget about arguing the issue of innocence at birth. None of us are innocent now. None of us. There's a story about the country pastor in his little country church who got up one Sunday morning and preached a sermon to his congregation telling them to love all your enemies. And he preached for half an hour, 40 minutes, and when he finished, he said, Now, how many of you are going to go out this week and try to love all your enemies? And four or five hands went up. 
And he thought, that's not good enough. So he went back to his notes and he railed on them for about 10 or 15 more minutes. <laughs> now, how many of you are going to go home this week and try hard to love all your enemies? Well, they're beginning to get the message that if we don't raise our hand, we're going to be here all day. And, and, and so, you know, 25 or 30 hands goes up and, and he finally says, no, that's not good enough. So back he goes to his notes and away he goes again for another 10 or 15 minutes. And this time they've all got it. How, and now, how many of you are going to go home this week and love all your enemies? And everybody in the whole congregation raised their hand except old Mrs. Jones, who's sitting back there in the back row. And she's 95 years old. And he notices and he said, Mrs. Jones, you're not going to go home and try to love all your enemies? And she said, Pastor, I don't have any enemies. And he said, really? 95 years old and you don't have any enemies? He said, I want you to come down here. Brother, Brother Buford, will you help her? And, 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 and take the microphone and tell all of our people how you can live to be 95 years old and not have any enemies. And so she waddles down and picks up the microphone. And she said, because I've outlived them all. Well, that's about the only way to do it, isn't it? <laughs> We're not innocent now. We may have been born innocent. I don't know. And you know what? I, 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 don't, I don't really care to debate that. What I care about is where am I right now? And I'm not innocent. I'm human. I'm a sinner. A second reflection. There is a Savior, and He is waiting for you to speak. <clears throat> Want a little more C.S. Lewis? The horse and his boy. And the principal character is a, is a, is a boy named Shasta. And I, I can't tell you the whole story. You, you must read the book. And he's been sent on a mission, and he's on a road, in a fog, and he's lost. And he has no idea how he's going to find who he's supposed to find or get to where he's supposed to go to, and he, and he begins throwing himself a pity party. You ever done that? A friend of mine says, self-pity is the least productive of all human emotion. That's probably true. So Shasta's having a pity party. And all of a sudden, he becomes aware that there's someone or something alive walking beside him in the fog, and he can't see. And at first, he thinks he made it, it's his imagination, and then he feels the breath of something on his hand. And then he begins to think it's a ghost. And finally, in sheer fear and desperation, he turns and says, Who? Who are you? And the great golden lion Aslan. Don't you love him? The great golden lion Aslan says this. One who has waited a long time for you to speak. Wow. What a wonderful picture of our Lord. He'll wait a long time for you to speak. And he's there waiting for you to speak. 
Well, let me ask you a third reflection. Have you accepted your Savior? You know, I'm going to tell you that I just flat out believe that in a crowd this size, even in a church on Super Bowl Sunday morning, by the way, I don't really care who wins as long as it's Kansas City. <laughs> I knew that'd get an amen from Paul. Uh, in, in a crowd this size, there are people here who don't know Jesus. I guarantee it. I don't know who you are. It's none of my business. That's between you and God. But there are people here who don't know the Savior. Well, you can get to know him right now where you sit. And I'll tell you how. Pray this simple prayer quietly, silently in your own heart. Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I'm inclined to do the wrong things too much of the time. And I know I need a savior. Please, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and life and be my savior right now, today. Amen. You pray that prayer. And true to his word, Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, will enter your life and you will be a child of God instantly. And the fourth reflection is that your Savior promises that your sins will all be forgiven. May I one time and one more time share with you one of my all-time favorite Christian hymn lyrics comes from the third verse of a song entitled, It Is Well With My Soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Pray with me. Father, we're not innocent. We sit here in church, sometimes playing at being innocent, but you know our hearts. And you know how the devil tends to deceive and confuse us. I thank you that babes are born with certainly the appearance of innocence. But all too soon, their real personalities come to light and we realize they're sinners just like all the rest of us. I pray, Lord, today that if someone here who doesn't know you comes to Christ, into faith that they will let us know so that we can help them begin to expand that relationship with Jesus in their lives. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.